I don't know about you, but I got thinking about New Year's resolutions. Who's in the habit of making New Year's resolutions? We, we do. No one, really. You guys are just too, too embarrassed to admit it. Um, well, I make New Year's resolutions, um, but I found some on the, uh, on the web, so I want to show you some of the more amusing New Year's resolutions. Maybe that's you, and maybe that's why you stopped making New Year's resolutions. There's expectation versus reality. Well, how about this one? Option A, lose weight. Option B, buy a bigger basket. I like option B. All right, this is New Year's tweets. New Year, new me. And then by March, that's what it looks like. How about this one? My 2017 resolution is to work on my low self-esteem, but I don't think I can do it. <laughs> that's a good one. And... Last one, my New Year's resolutions are one, stop making lists, B, be more consistent, seven, learn to count. <laughs> well, I wonder if you thought about what's going to make a difference for you this next year, this new year. And today I want to focus on really 1 Corinthians 6, but I want to use that as a window to think about New Year's resolutions looking back and looking forward. And I want you to know that the thing that's going to make the biggest difference I hope that God is going to challenge with us with it today actually comes from the end of that passage that we just read. Have a look there at verses 19 and 20, because I think if you get this sentence, it'll make the biggest difference to you today on New Year's Eve as you look back and look forward. It says this, verse 19, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Right, we're going to let that one sentence sit with us today. Let's really think about it, let's really meditate on it, and I'm hoping that God will use this to help us think about the year that's been and the year ahead. You are not your own, you were bought with a price. And I'm going to pray and then we'll get ready to get into it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that your word is eternal, that these words written thousands of years ago through your Holy Spirit can still sting us today. And I pray that you would do that, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would come and speak through me so that right now on the last day of this year, as we head into a new year, it would be that sentence that we are not our own, we were bought with the price, that would ring true. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, the most utterly life-changing truth that you need today, as I said, as you head into 2018, is that you and I belong to another. You got that? We belong to another. We are not our own. If you're a follower of Jesus, you belong to God. You see, salvation, being saved, isn't just God giving people a free ticket to heaven. Salvation, as the Bible pictures it, is nothing short of a change of kingdoms, a change of lives, and a change of ownership. And it's one that came, says the Bible, at a great cost. Remember, you were bought at a price. Someone paid for that change of ownership. If you have a look at 1 Peter 1, you'll see that idea. Have a look on the screen. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. And notice this but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. What price did God pay 
to make us his. Nothing short of the death of his own son, Jesus, the lamb. So what difference does belonging to another make? Well, let me show you a video. Uh, I'm going to talk over the video. If you, if you guys have um, seen the movie Schindler's List, you remember this really moving scene at the end where all the surviving Jews that a guy called Oscar Schindler rescued in World War II are paying tribute to him at his grave. Um, just to give you a bit of background, between 1943 and the end of the war in 1945, a German man by the name of Oscar Schindler, at great cost to himself, rescued 1,200 Jews from certain death. And the way he did this was, uh, Schindler was not a very successful businessman. He wasn't a very good person. But um, he was moved by the plight of the Jews. So he applied his bad business sense. And what he did was he spent every single dollar he had to employ Jews to work in his factory. His factory was supposed to produce, um, for the Germans, produce ammunition as well as um, pots and pans. And he made sure that through the two years he employed people at his factory, over a thousand Jews, that no, not one single bullet was actually produced. He just made a really bad mess of it on purpose. But what he did, because these Jews um, were bought by him, to work at his factory, it meant that when it came time for them to be shipped off at the end of the war to be um, exterminated in these, um, these, uh, these concentration camps that the, the Nazis had come up with, his Jews, because they belonged to him, were untouched. And he had a list. And every single worker Jew on his list, all 1,200 of them, managed to survive the war to the end. And uh, this is a really moving scene. If you haven't seen the movie, it's about 20 years old, but it's actually honestly one of my favorite movies and I want you to have a think about what it was like for these Schindler Jews what kind of difference did it make for the Schindler Jews to belong to someone else what difference did it make well it, it was a difference for them between life and death and can you imagine I mean this is 50 years later 60 years after the end of the war and they're paying tribute to Oscar Schindler who long died but can you imagine every single day from the day that Oscar Schindler put them on his list and paid for them to work at his factory. Every single day that they lived, they would know that they're alive because someone had bought them. Because someone paid the price and because they belong to another. So you want to know what it's like to belong to another and what difference it makes? Have a think about this, um, the, 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 the true story of the Schindler Jews. Now that's true for them. But I wonder if you are a follower of Jesus, what difference has that made to you? And when was the last time you thought to yourself, I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. I belong to another. And therefore, how do you feel in the therefores? Well, I want to use New Year's Eve to apply that truth. The fact that we are not our own, that we are bought in a price. I want to do it in two ways. Firstly, I want to look back. And then I'm going to help us look forward. So number two on your outlines, point number two, looking back. Um, often on New Year's Eve, right, you look back on the previous years. And I wonder if you make resolutions, have you even dared to look at the list of resolutions you made at the beginning of 2017? I generally make resolutions, but I don't like looking at them. Well, I want to tell you now that belonging to God makes a huge difference, even in terms of how you look back. You got that? Belonging to God makes... A huge difference in terms of how you look back. 
See, for me personally, 2017 is one of those years I'd rather just forget about. It was just a hard year. And some of you might know why it was hard. Uh, I shared about it. I blogged about it. But it was a really tough year. But you know what? It's not as difficult as it's been for some of you. Because I know that there are here, people here for you. 2017 is when you lost loved ones. When you battled chronic illness. When you've been in the pits of depression and mental health issues. Or there's been significant sins. Either others sinned against you and you've had to learn to forgive in 2017. And it's been hard. Or maybe you've sinned significantly against God against others, and you're dealing with guilt and regret. See, if I ask you now to um, just mentally rank your 2017 on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being perfect, have a think, what number would you give 2017? Well, let me urge you, look back with the right lens. You got that? Look back with the right lens. The lens that we ought to look back with the glasses we should put on as we look at 2017 is the lens of belonging to another. See, when you look back and you are filled with grief or anger or frustration or regret or shame, tell yourself, I am not my own. I belong to another. I was bought with a price. Because... You know what this means, right? It means that your own assessment of your year or your own assessment of yourself doesn't really count. It doesn't. Because it's your owner and your masters and your Lord and your kings and your father's assessment that counts. You see where I'm going with this? If you belong to him and he paid for you with the blood of Jesus and how he views you, is infinitely more important. How he views the things that you regret, the things that you're struggling with, the things that you've grieved about, that is infinitely more important than how we view ourselves or each other. Is that right? And how does he view you? Well, you know the answer to that, don't you? He views you with complete and utter love because you belong to him. Got here in a bag, someone I want you to meet. His name is Orange Bear. Now, Orange Bear belongs to one of my kids. I want, I'm not allowed to embarrass them by telling you which kid it is. I've got four, so you know, you've know got a 25% chance. But our Orange Bear has been with one of my children since basically the first week of their life. Orange Bear um, actually used to, um, looks pretty tattered now, right? Orange Bear used to be a bear. I think it's one of those you can buy a Kurong. Someone gave it to one of our kids when, when they were born. And if you put the hands together, it prays. Like, it's an electronic thing. It says, now I lay myself down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. You know that thing? Now, it's been years since Orange Bear worked. Um, and so we actually took out the, um, the electronic pit and sewed it back together. But um, Orange Bear is pretty tattered. But the, the, child that, the child who's no longer a child who has Orange Bear still loves him and still takes him to bed. Now, that's just one of my children. All of my children have precious things, except one of them who accidentally left their bear at a campsite we were staying at and never got it back. Very sad. But um, another one of my children, um, their precious thing is 
uh, the, the muslin wrap, you know, the baby wraps you use to wrap babies, a green wrap, and, and, uh, and that's stuck with this child uh, for, for the whole of uh, their life. See, I have to use gender-neutral language, so you know, it's, it's very hard, okay? Um, but here's the thing, right? The original wrap got so tattered that we basically had to, like, it's ripped in, like, three pieces, so we're tying three pieces together, and it's so tattered, and finally we said, look, we're going to get you a new one. So we went online and found exactly the same color wrap, and we gave it to, the, the, to one of our children. And now, guess what? Now this child sleeps not just with the new one, but he wanted to keep the old one as well. So you've got tattered green one and the new green one. Now why is it that these tattered things are precious? I'll tell you why they're precious. It's not because they're intrinsically precious. I mean, this old bear, you couldn't, like, I'd have to pay you to take it. They're precious because their owners treasure them. They're more precious than anything else. In fact, I wanted to bring the, wrap, the green wraps out, but that particular child wouldn't let me. It was too precious to them. If you are a follower of Jesus and a child of God, you're precious because God treasures you. You're not precious because of anything in yourself. Not because of your performance, not because you've had a stellar 10 out of 10, 2017. You're precious because God treasures you and He loves you and He would even pay the price of His dear Son for you to be His. And so what other people think don't matter. What you yourself think, it doesn't matter. Only the Father's opinion counts. Now, earlier in October this year, because it was 500 years of the Reformation, we did that series. And I just want to remind you that right at the center of the Reformation was that we are justified, yeah? That because of Jesus' death, we are justified. Easy way to remember justified is just as if I'd never sinned. God views us not on the basis of our performance. And as you look back in 2017... Understand that and view your year and yourself through that lens. That because you belong to another and you're precious to Him and you're justified, that you are dearly loved, perfect in His eyes, and you can leave all the regrets and the shame and the sorrows at His feet. So that's looking back. Belonging to another makes the biggest difference looking back, but it also makes a difference as we look ahead. And we also need to look ahead with that truth, that we are not our own, that we belong to another, that we were bought at a price. Uh, just to remind you, we're in 1 Corinthians 6, where a church, is, if you've been with us this year, the latter half of this year, we've been doing 1 Corinthians, we've got a really messy church, yeah? A really messy church. A church with all sorts of issues. And the current issue that he's dealing with here in chapter 6 is that for some reason, the believers thought that they could do what they wanted, right? They were followers of Jesus, but they thought, I can live however I want. I can sin it up. And there's a reason probably why they thought that. It's because of grace, right? They understood that God accepts us no matter what we do, not on the basis of our performance. And if that's the case, then logically for them, well, that means I can do whatever I want. I mean, you know, God will forgive me anyway. 
right? It's just like a credit card. You buy now, you pay later, or you can sin now and pray later, right? It's, it's how it works. So let's have a look at uh, chapter 6, verse 12, and, and read those verses again. And you can see what's going on here is Paul will quote them. They're the things in the quotation marks, probably what the Corinthians have communicated back to Paul of what they said. And then he will answer them in the sentence afterwards. So verse 12, I have the right to do anything you say. And then here's Paul, but not everything is beneficial. Quotes them again, I have the right to do anything. Then Paul answers, but I will not be mastered by anything. Verse 13, you say, food for the stomach, stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. Now, Paul says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. All right, so Paul is going to particularly apply this to sexual sins or sexual immorality, sex outside of the loving, lifelong commitment between a man and his wife. Now, the Corinthians, you've got to know, lived at a time when sex and religion were sort of intermingled. So prostitutes weren't just available in, 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 in brothels, but at temples. And sleeping around with temple prostitutes was part of accepted society. Now, some Christians in Corinth found that hard to give up, it seems. Now, Paul will obviously have some very serious things to say about that. And we would do well to take heed. But today, I'm going to sort of move past that. I want us to focus on his reasoning. Let's see where it's all heading. All right, so let's keep reading. Verse, we're going to skip ahead to verse 18, where Paul says, Flee from sexual immorality. By the way, brothers and sisters, if you're struggling with sexual sins, he, he doesn't say, you know, just resist. Just put on a few filters. He says, flee, run away. That's a good strategy, okay? Run away. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That's what I want to focus on. What's his reason for saying flee from sexual sins? It's because someone else owns you. Someone else owns me. See, who owns us, who has paid for us, who has rights to our lives, makes the biggest difference in terms of how we live, yeah? Like just as you wouldn't, say, say your boss brought, uh, just, just purchased a nice new car and he's loaned it out to you. You wouldn't take that new car for a drag race, purposely run red lights, do donuts in the parking lot, right? Because it doesn't belong to you. What Paul is saying here, don't consider any part of ourselves as belonging to us. Jesus paid for us. When he died on the cross for our sins, he purchased us. We belong to him. And so, dear friends, when it comes to our lives in the new year, our decisions, our ambitions, our goals, our plans, this should make the decisive difference, should it not? Now, I reckon here to apply it, it's helpful to think big picture. Yes, big picture. I'm not at my own. So what does this mean for my big kind of medium long-term goals, aims, ambitions, or year-long ambitions and aims? Yes, it means big picture. But also, I think it's helpful to think in detail too, yeah? I think I'm not my own. So what does that mean for the day-to-day of how I want to spend my time day-to-day, my talents, my energies? 
I think a really helpful passage is actually Romans chapter 6. Have a look on the screen. Romans 6 says this, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. And you notice we skip ahead to verse 21. Now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God. You see the ownership idea is so key, isn't it? So heading into 2018, here's my challenge. Here's hopefully God's challenge. Why not think, how can I take every part of what God has entrusted to me? Right? You're a steward. You're entrusted like the boss's car. Right? It's on loan to you. How can I take everything that God has put on loan to me and use it for Him? To make Him happy. Why don't we even start with those things you struggle with? Or those things you particularly regret. So for example, did you feel like you wasted a lot of time in 2017? All the uni students are, yeah, huh? Did you think that you wasted a lot of time? Well, how about in 2018 to think, how can I use time productively? Yeah? How about this? You wasted a lot of money in 2017. Well, maybe in 2018 is to take that and think, oh, well, how can I now use money generously? To invest in eternal things in 2018. Or maybe in 2017, you know your eyes and your mind and maybe your body was given over to what Paul talks about, 1 Corinthians 6, sexual sin, sexual immorality, lust, pornography, whatever it is. Well then, in 2018, why not think, how can I take my eyes and my mind and my body and fill it And use it for what's beautiful and wholesome and God-honoring in 2018. Or maybe your mouth and your words were used to hurt people in 2017. Or maybe in 2018 you can think, how can I use my words now to encourage, to build up, to give life to people in 2018? Yeah, you see that? You take something that is wrong and sinful, but you say, look, God wants to use it for the opposite. Now, you see that logic in Ephesians 4, where he's talking about uh, stealing. He says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. You see, you're stealing with your hands, that's wrong. Now do something useful with the same hands that God has given you. But I want to say, don't just limit it to those parts of you that need to change from sinful to holy use. Because any part, any part of what God has given us can be used for Him. Because we are not our own, we belong at a price. So here's a challenge. Like, don't just slip over to the new year blindly, not thinking. Why not, and you accountants will love this, why not do an audit of everything you have? Like literally do an audit of everything. Draw up a list. Every talent and gift and ability. Your creativity, your artistry. You're good at different things, aren't you? Make a list of those. How about every resource at your disposal? Whether it's time or money or family, friendships, their resources, did you know? Every body part, do that. Like just draw a picture of a human body. 
and label it. Everything from your head to your eyes to your nose to your mouth to your ears to your hands. I know it's, you've got to think of it metaphorically. But do that. Order that. And then think every single thing on my list, every body part in 2018. How do I use my fingers for the glory of God? How do I use my eyes for the glory of God? How do I use my ears for the glory of God? How do I use my brain? How do I use my legs? How do I use my muscles if you're Ryan? Sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you. But it's true. He's very muscly. Um, How can I use every single part of me to serve and honor my master, my king, my lord, my father, because I belong to another, you see? That would be a great thing to talk about. That would be a great thing to encourage each other with. And let me just give you a little bit of a preview. Um, Come February next year, we're actually going to start the year with mission. We're not going to end the year with mission. We, we figure that actually probably more of our unbelieving, unchurched friends would be willing to take up an invitation in February than kind of three quarters of the way through the year. Fresh year, they're probably more willing to. We can sync up with our new, uh, Chinese New Year stuff. So anyway, in February next year, we're doing mission. And the, th- the title of the series is going to be Why Jesus, Why Bother? Four talks, all evangelistic, all to help people who don't know Jesus yet to come to know Him like we did last year. We'll follow it up with fresh, right, our course, you might want to begin to think about, well, how can I be used for that? How can I be inviting for that? How can I spend my resources, my time, my energy, my hands to help with putting something like that on? You see, friends, if I die at the end of 2018, or if Jesus returns, and this happens to be my last year on earth, you know what? I don't want to get to the end of the year and think, I could have done more with what I was given. I'm going to show you another clip from Schindler's List. Um, by the way, Liam Neeson, you know, I will find you, Liam Neeson. Uh, he is Oscar Schindler. I want to show you this clip because this is just before that last bit that I showed you. And it's, honestly, I always get teary watching this. I'll just show it to you. But let's have a look at, um, this is what, what happens right at the end. For this, 
I could have become one more person. And I didn't. I, I, I didn't. <laughs> get to the end of 2018 if it was the last year of my life and think I could have done more but I don't want to end on a negative note I want to inspire us with something of a positive example you might have heard of a man called Jonathan Edwards who was a pastor a theologian when he was only 18 years old 18 he wrote a list or began writing a list that ended up being 70 resolutions. If you like, there were his 70 New Year's resolutions, only it took a couple of years to write. And I, I just want to go through some of them with you, and maybe there will be ones that you can borrow off Jonathan Edwards. So there are some that are like general resolutions, where, for example, he writes, Resolved to live with all my might while I do live. That was number six. Number 17, resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. Or 69, resolved always to do that which I shall wish I had done when I see others do it. What about some resolutions that have to do with sin in his life? He says, number eight, Resolved to act in all respects, both speaking and doing, as if nobody had been so vile as I, and as if I had committed the same sins or had the same infirmities or failings as others, and that I will let the knowledge of their failings promote nothing but shame in myself and prove only an occasion of my confessing my own sins and misery to God. That's a good one, isn't it? Because if you struggle with being judgmental, Always thinking, oh, that person did that, that person did that. I could never do that. Edwards wants to say, every time I see someone mess up, I only want to think of where I mess up in exactly the same ways and worse so that I can confess my sins to God. That's a solution to judgmentalism, is it not? How about 56? Resolve never to give over, nor in the least to slacken my fight with my sin, however unsuccessful I may be. Edwards was no saint. He struggled with sin like us. He failed, but he would come back to God, ask for forgiveness, and then try again no matter how many times. And maybe that's what you need to hear at the end of 2017, at the beginning of 2018, because you feel like that sin that's dogged you, that habitual sin, that addiction, you just keep failing at, and you just want to give up now. Resolve never to slacken your fight with sin. That's a great one, isn't it? How about when it comes to the kind of little areas of his life. Number 20, resolve to maintain the strictest temperance in eating and drinking. Right, um, dieting and that kind of stuff wasn't a fad. Resolved to ask myself at the end of every day, week, month and year, wherein I could possibly in any respect have done better. 67, resolved after afflictions. And if you've gone through afflictions this year, to inquire what I am the better for them, what good I have got by them, and what I might have got by them. 
What about when it comes to spiritual disciplines? 28. Resolved to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. He wants to read the Bible and grow in his knowledge of the Bible. 29. Resolved never to count that a prayer, nor to let that pass as a prayer, nor that as a petition of a prayer, which is so made that I cannot hope that God will answer it. Right? He's saying, I, I, I never want to pray anything that doesn't come also with faith that God will do what I pray, or that God could do what I pray. Nor that as a confession which I cannot hope God will accept, right? To always pray that which you know God will hear and will do. And, and look, I want to encourage you, go online, look up the 70 resolutions. They're really great. They're such an encouragement. But I want to leave you with this, because what is it that caused this 18-year-old so young, just at the cusp of adulthood, what caused this 18-year-old young man to resolve to do all this? Well, let me show you. Number 43. Resolved never henceforward till I die to act as if I were any way my own, but entirely and altogether God's. I think Edwards has been reading 1 Corinthians 6, don't you? Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, we cannot hope to keep any resolutions or plans without the power of your Holy Spirit. So help us to live looking ahead with clarity that we do not belong to ourselves, but to you who paid the ultimate price. So we pray that you would take our lives, let it be consecrated all for thee. Amen.